0: Hello, everyone. and Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. And I'd like to welcome back to the show Lead Glyptis, a wonderful friend and a newly minted book author, as well as the Chief Client Officer at 10
1: Banking. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Again. Thank you for that. <laughs> Both encouraging me to get writing and supporting with a book. Um, And thank you for having me on the show. Thank
0: you. I'll have you back every single week.
1: (laughs) If your schedule
0: allows, if you're not flying all over the place. But I want to know, how does it feel? How does it feel? Seriously, it's about damn time. I know everyone has been telling you, please, for the love of God, do a book. Because you write so much. You could have had three books by now.
1: I know. That is actually true. And the reality is I, I probably have produced three were three books worth of of blogs but as you know the book isn't a collection of the blogs even though it sort of started life um intending to be something like that that's not where we ended up it just didn't work um the themes are very familiar so for readers of the blog um the themes in the book are very familiar but just piecing them together did not work and i ended up reworking the themes and sort of uh, going deeper into detail and a wider narrative, I really thoroughly enjoyed writing. So I had them the exact same roller coaster of emotions as I did when I was doing my PhD. Which is, I started thinking I'm going to do one thing, ended up doing something entirely different, fell in love with the second thing, and really enjoyed writing. Absolutely hated every word of it while I was editing and getting it ready for publication, and then. Um, and then sort of by the end you have that feeling almost like Frodo and the ring that you don't want to let go of it because you could go on polishing and tweaking forever so that series of emotions was identical to when I was doing my PhD what was very different is that you know you put your PhD into the ether and then you have an exam right then you have to defend it and and you have no idea what the reception will be whereas this book um, has a community and although there's always a possibility and the hope that it will get into the hands of a lot more people than than the column does and you know open a, a sort of new audience for me. Um the reality is that I I was writing for my community. I was I I know the audience. So the, there was a, a moment of like communion when when you put it out into the world and it's like I I actually can can visualize the first batch of readers I I know who they are I may not have met them in real life but I know who they are and that's an amazing feeling
0: I was I was gonna say I think for all of us who read your every Thursday leader writes on fintech features which is a religion I get lost if I don't see it and which is very, very rare. But I remember there was one time I think you were taking a break. I'm like, wait, what, 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 what am I supposed to do? You had us all tuned into Thursday morning. I wake up. The first thing I do is, okay, what did Lita write this week? It's um, so, so it, it feels like every week when you write, you're writing to us personally. I'm like, oh, wait, no, this is me. Oh, no, no, this is not. But it feels like that. And everything about what you write is very personal. It's very leader like um, so when I, when I saw the, um, the title for the book, Bankers Like Us, I'm like, oh, oh, here you go again. It's us, the theme about like us. Um, yeah. But the book is, is, is personal to, to us, it's personal to you because you make a lot of reference about your own personal experience, your own personal journey as an immigrant um, in a foreign land. You mentioned about, you know, having two suitcases, moving to a new place and starting a new life. Um, I, I think a lot of us who are transplants can totally understand it. But what are some of the key takeaway messages for your readers? And what, are you, what are you hoping for them to get out from reading, Lita? There's,
1: there's so much I'd like to say, but if I distill it down, part of it is you're not alone. I found a community that taught me I am not alone, and that community is both physical and online it's uh, it's people we work with it's people we interact with on a sort of uh, more public forum but also friendships that have come through this industry. How many times have you guided me through um crises of of the moment and those those um those friendships or where partnerships of like-minded people have been absolutely pivotal in my career and growth. So the first thing that the book does is, you're not alone in thinking that some of this is crazy, in thinking there must be another way. You, you are not alone. The second piece is more of a call to arms. And I know that this is something that's close to your heart and, and close to the work you did in, in Beyond Good. It's, change is not an abstraction. And it's incumbent upon all of us To make material changes to the way we work. What I've tried to do with the book is create a gradient of options that start from the very, very small to the very, very big. And the the implication is you don't need to lead a revolution. You don't need to engage in behavior that is so disruptive to the status quo that you might lose your job. You can actually, resist the worst of our industry in a way that is hugely constructive to both your career and the organization you're in. And it is about that personal accountability and honesty with yourself of how willing and able you are to take on a big piece of change, yes or no. If you're not able to drive big change, either because you don't want to, you don't have the appetite, or you don't have the the reach, you can still make meaningful material change to yourself and the organization in, in small ways from exactly where you are. But the book follows the the logic through to its logical conclusion, saying we have technology at our disposal that makes it possible to reimagine all the big questions. And if we are to do that, where could we end up? And the choice to do that, admittedly, is a difficult one, and it comes with, responsibility, and it obviously needs to come with a a certain degree of power and influence because otherwise you can't uh, execute against it, but it's not an abstraction. It's not a a thing for someone else out there to do. It's right here and right now with whoever's in the room, right?
0: It's right here, right now, and with intention, and you, you did mention that word and, and it popped in my face as you could imagine it would. You touched on so many of my own personal favorite topics in the book. As I said, every time when I read this stuff, I'm like, oh, Lita's talking to me. No, Lita's not talking to me. She's talking to all of us. Um, but the one that, that I loved the most is around inclusion and financial inclusion in particular. Um, what do we as an industry often get wrong because you went into length about that what does
1: financial inclusion mean what do we think it means and what does it actually mean i am uh as you know i i feel very strongly about this and i know i know you do because you you write a lot about it and actually i find the way you think about it always inspires me to go further um i've always found inclusion was one of those topics that Because it became, about 10 years ago, it became the little black dress of banking, right? Every bank started talking about financial inclusion initiatives and they were um, not profit-making. They were considered to be uh, loss-making for the good of humanity, stake number one. They were side of desk. And then they very quickly became about bank accounts, bank accounts everywhere. But what are you going to do with a bank account that's empty, right? So I find... That actually for me inclusion is about access to the system and a bank account doesn't actually give you access to the system if you've got nothing to put in it what you need is access to money and so one of the things that um, i'm exploring in the book is as as you go through the sliding scale of decisions that you can make to change your behavior decisions you can make to change the way your team operates. You get to the big decisions where an institution, an organization, in an industry can face into these big questions and say, why did we never lend to the poor? Well, we didn't lend to the poor because it was considered unprofitable, because we thought they would default. Well, there is extensive research that shows that actually largely is not the case, and the wealthy or big corporates are more likely to default than the poor. Subprime lending being a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, but, but an unsecured loan to the poor actually has, has been proven to be a sustainable business. And secondly, the way that the unit economics of lending have historically worked meant that a, a microloan was impossible to give without being loss-making. Well, enter left fintech. We now have technology at scale that allows those unit economics to be slashed. So as a business, you can actually say... I will deploy this new technology and I will look at doing the right thing and serving communities in a way that actually makes me money and revisits those questions in a data-driven business first humanity first approach. It is not um it is not an impossible balance to strike and and the, the point that I'm trying to drive in, in the final chapters of the book, which is also resonating throughout um, your own book, uh, Beyond Good, is that the technology is there, the economics have been worked out, the risk modeling exists. It's about making the decision to do things in a different way. And one of the things I find very compelling about the enablement factor of, of um, fintech is that it's not a charity act. You can actually do it in a way that sustains your business. Doing good and doing well, as you have pointed out more than once in the past, are not mutually exclusive.
0: They're not mutually exclusive, and yet the bias exists, and I think it's something that has existed for a long time. And what I do worry is that until we can remove that, regardless of what AI we have, even with an AI, we still need to remove devices from the data from the past, but it's going to be a long, long, long journey. Um, so long that I don't even know what we would see by the time my kids start working. Um, this is the pessimistic side of me, the side, just like what you were just saying, right? Technology is there. The unit economics has worked out. Everything is proven it can be done. And there are institutions
1: that have been able to do it. And yet. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, uh, you and I talk about this a lot. If I look back, the, the change that has come up and through in our industry is considerable. Um, if I compare when I started, Green Screens and Super Users and Telex. Um, so we've come a very, very long way, right? But the pace is still not in line with the economy. And it's not in line with the economy because our industry is is consciously dragging its feet. So although the optimistic side of me says we have made a lot of progress, the pessimistic side of me says that if I had the confidence to call it out when I started, the themes of my book wouldn't have been much different 15, 20 years ago than they are now the the human and organizational component that makes having the hard conversations and doing this work hard, that's the piece that hasn't actually progressed enough. There's definitely some change. Um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation in public without, like, seriously career-limiting implications, and now we are. So So there's definitely change. But if I look back at the themes of what makes it hard, the progress is even slower there than, than it is on the technical side, and I really do think that we've reached the point where the, the low-hanging low fruit has been reaped. The stuff that can be done without transforming culturally and without completely overhauling our infrastructure, that, that stuff has been done. Like The next phase cannot come with half measures.
0: Um, Speaking of humans needing to change, coming up, March, my favorite month, that's the only one month that you actually see that companies have female executives, because that's what companies do. They celebrate female executives for that one day in the year. Um, (laughs) Like, hey, and then they put all the headshots back in the drawer. And then you wonder, wait, what happens to the women? But they do come back every year. So don't worry. Now, that is the cynical side of me saying, of course, but, um, someone asked me recently and it, it, it was, it, it was a pop question and it caught me by surprise to the point I was actually quiet for 15 seconds, which does not usually happen. Cause I always have an opinion of my own. And, um, and what she asked was, what are some of the positive things that has happened to our industry that has moved the needles? And I just sat there and I thought so hard. 15 seconds passed and I was quiet. I am curious to hear what you think are, because I, I think I have this this part of my brain that every time when this question pop up, I try so hard. I'm like, well, we have created more wealth tech tools for women. Well, no, no really? Okay. We have made it easier. Oh, wait, because now women can actually open a bank account. Okay. Well, w- wonderful. Without, without
1: their husband's finances.
0: Um, Although it is still not permissible in some
1: countries. Let's not think about it. And actually, look, even here in the U.K., a woman couldn't have a mortgage to her name uh, till roughly when I was born. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: Oh, and my accountant that I have been doing business with for 20 years. I moved from the taxpayer to the spouse and the taxpayer when we decided to file our tax jointly. Every year, and I'm like, wait, I was your client. I've always been your client. You've always been dealing with me. Why am I the spouse now? And
1: and I, it. Anyway,
0: <laughs> what are some so, of the positive things? What do you think, Lida? I need help.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I can definitely point to a couple of positive things, but they are directional, and they are hopeful, but they're not. They haven't led us to where we need to be yet and I, and for instance like the, the first I would say um there's voices like yours that didn't exist before that use their platform to make it okay to have a very different kind of conversation um in a way that brings I mean your your piece recently about diversity of socks made me laugh out loud right um and the reality is the diversity of socks is same old, same old, but the way you call it out is relentless in a way that we didn't have before. Equally, I remember over the last few years, reading pieces of yours at times about aging, about poverty, about um, our duty to a society that is actually starving outside our offices and 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 a and a way of speaking that is informed, empathetic, and action-oriented. You know, it's not a oh well, it's the day that we talk about the sad people today, and then we go back to our desks tomorrow. So I think that opening up of a space where those things get hammered out again and again and again is really important because it's a long journey, and not speaking about it is not how you change it. So I do think that we're we're beginning to have the language to resist and that representation of the art of the possible more and more. I started my career when one of the most senior women in my organization told me that the best career advice she could give me was to keep quiet. And she did it from a place of kindness. It had worked for her. She wasn't being counterintuitive. She wasn't being mean to me. It had worked for her. The reality in the last 20 years is that The biggest advocates of my career have been women, the biggest supporters, the people who have pushed me, who've created opportunities for me, have been women. Um, You opening up opportunities, giving me an even bigger platform, Adriana Pierelli, my first ever mentor at work, who was like, I'll take you places and then if you swim, great, if you sink, it's on you and 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 like the career acceleration i had on the back of that equally at uh, tanya who who's been publishing my my um my column she went and pushed the um the book to a place that it was an inevitability and for me that transition from the best advice a woman could give to a woman was keep your mouth shut And in less than 20 years later, if I look around me, there is a very small group, admittedly, but a very active group of women that are really making it better for each other. Yeah, the industry is still not where I would want it. That changes material. So when I look at Caitlin's generation, I hope that the work we're doing now to create that togetherness, that support, the language of certain things unacceptable, And generation coming knows better. I mean, it's freaking but hopefully we get to a point where it's impossible to resist the urge to include both halves of the population to the work we do.
0: There is hope. There is hope. When you talked about the advice you got to keep quiet i remember the first advice i got back in the 90s was how to dress and where to sit and position yourselves in a room of men that was my first advice
1: <laughs> that i got yeah i mean as you can see my my hair is wet right and uh very and i i don't own a hair dryer um my uh <laughs> very First job, I was told that I need to get my hair blow-dried to go to work because it's unprofessional. And I was like, I don't see you saying that to the guys who come back from the gym with their hair wet. Yeah. Nope, nope. I got advice on on how to dress, what to wear, literally. Um, And why? Oh, you got the why as well. That's sweet. I did have a boss once who told me that I should wear skirt, two pieces, and pearls. And I was like, "Are you giving me a pay rise? Because you don't pay me enough to buy pearls." <laughs> and of course, because it's not just gender; it's also class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, "Don't you have pearls from your family?" I'm like, really? <laughs> so, did we go and hire someone who doesn't have pearls? How dare!
0: How dare yeah. you, Lita, show yeah. up to work without pearls? Can you imagine? <laughs>
1: Your your job description. You need this much experience, this much exposure to to this particular market. This 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 and pearls and pearls.
0: Oh, I think I'm gonna have a lot of fun with my next post.
1: <laughs> Thanks for
0: the inspiration. And by the way, the uh, the title for diversity of socks that was full credit to Sonya. Um, it was a trigger. That was a trigger I I went through. Um, so. There was a conference that happened the week right before I, I did the article, and uh, I've gotten multiple people pinging me with multiple pictures, and they all said the same thing and um, and uh, I knew it as the only diversity in the dozen pictures that I've gotten was socks. There was no other diversity to be filmed, so that was that was the title um, and thank you, Sonia, for the inspiration but uh, let let's let's move on a little bit let's let's talk about something fun so looking back. At all the roles you've played, um, all the different companies you've worked with even, um, and all the teams you've been with, other than Pearls, <laughs> if you were to turn back time, were there anything you, have, you would have changed and why? Because you worked in banks, you worked in fintech startups, you did a lot of things, and you, my friend, is Dr. Leader Glyptis. So would you have changed anything?
1: Um it's uh, it's very um it's very hard to know the things you could have changed um and not change the outcome i have a have a piece of original artwork in my bedroom that I picked up in New Orleans about ten years ago that says, um I can tell you about my adventures beginning from this morning, but there's no use going back to yesterday. I was a different person there, and I think there's a there's an element of. If I were to change the thing I'm about to tell you, would I have ended up in the same place? But the reality is that uh, in our industry is is serious and 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 sort of constraining. Now it was even worse when you and I started. Right, it was a very hierarchical place where you earned your right to an opinion by being middle aged. Right, so when you have the offense of youth, you have to keep your head down a little bit and and learn and observe. Um, I um. As as I do um, describe in the book, I felt, felt that I was at a disadvantage when I entered banking because I, I had come in from academia and rather than being made to feel like I had a, an additional set of skills to contribute to the party, I was made to feel like I had wasted time and I was behind my peers. Um, as you can imagine, that didn't last very long, but it's also it's an interesting power dynamic to to create. And then, of course, I was doing it all in a language that wasn't my first language. Uh, it was it was new. Everything was conducive to, like, keep your head down, be quiet, work hard, be serious. And and I did that for a very long time. And I'm, I'm grateful for the hard yards because you learn. But it took me a, a very long time to give myself permission to question the madness, like once I started, there was no stopping it. But I, I would say that if I could go back and change one thing, I did have a boss who said, bring your whole self to work. It's it's about time. And it took his nudge for me to do it. Part of me wishes I had done it sooner. But I think a lot of the credibility that I, I'd i like to think I have now is because I know the stuff I'm talking about. And the reality of the industry is that once you start challenging it, um, the learning space becomes fraught. So keeping my down for a few years allowed me to learn. So when I started challenging and people became confrontational because, as my boss used to say, you keep telling them their gin baby shouldn't wear pink and they don't want to hear it. Um, The reality is it helps to know the thing inside out to take the arguments that are never about the right thing Um, so I wish I had stopped keeping my head down a bit earlier, but then would that have interfered with my ability to learn the things I needed to learn? Possibly. We will never know now.
0: But you know what? We like how you are right now, so please do not change. (laughs) You've given us so much and continue to give us so much. And so I'm going to keep poking ahead for ideas. So one of them that's been that Dimash actually has been asking quite a bit is around the cost of living crisis. And every time when I think about it, I think of him um, because he keeps asking people, what should we do more? What is it that we need to do more? And then now we have layoffs after rounds of layoffs. We have challenges from climate change. While certain companies continue to make record profits. We're not gonna name names in here. Um, what more should financial services industry be doing that we are not doing? Or are we, we doing all our... the right things which is not doing fast enough? Uh
1: I mean that could be a podcast on its own right. So I think there's <laughs> a lot we could be yeah. doing that we're not doing, a lot we should be doing that we're not doing, and quite a lot of things that um we are doing that we should stop doing. I think it's fair to say that even if we weren't looking at the intensity of the cost of living crisis we know for a fact that the economy is changing and i have written about this in the past that the vast majority of people inside banks are not fat cat bankers they are people who are doing uh, jobs of low specialization and low reward they will be uh, in a job that doesn't necessarily pay more than a bookstore clerk and they are in those super, super siloed verticals. And they're the people who are going to be hit the hardest by digitization. So even before the cost of living crisis, if your job is to issue bond coupons or to do account maintenance in a retail bank branch, we as, as institutions, we know for a fact that we're on a path that eliminates those roles in the space of five, ten years. Are we doing enough to hire in a way that doesn't expose these individuals to sudden redundancy? Because yes, you're gonna need fewer people, but are you sizing your teams to coincide with their retirement so that you don't create false promises that allows people who are still in your workforce to retrain in a meaningful way, either to stay with you or to have a skill set that's useful for a digital economy? We don't do enough of that. And actually we know the inputs, it wouldn't be so hard to, to actually start having that workforce planning, doesn't do that feast of famine thing that banks have been doing. the The other piece is that we have always been um, like alpha hunters about talent. We've always gone after the people who've already done it, who've already done it with one of our competitors, um, and and that's how we've ended up with like diversity of socks, essentially, right? Because people, um, because you, you're in an ever narrowing demographic. Meanwhile, the society outside your office is not represented inside, both from a diversity of, of of gender, of sexuality, of ethnicity, of accents, of cultural backgrounds. Um, and there is a world where we can become immersed in the communities we operate in and, and, and create those. Rap- Like, Do you realize how cheap and easy it would be to create some training academies for local communities and then hire those people? It will be cheaper as well, not just the right thing to do. So there's a lot that um, we could do from a very pragmatic perspective. And all of it would drive long-term change. It wouldn't fix anything short-term. Like The only things we can do to fix things short-term is be, be a good human. But the fact that we can't do something for the short term doesn't mean we shouldn't start fixing the long term because you know today's long term will be tomorrow's short term and now is the chance to actually do something about it
0: belita they might not necessarily
1: have pearls if you hire loco i mean you know nobody wants employees without pearls, right? That exactly. Awesome. That's a limiting factor. It's important. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I cannot not remember this now. But but you're you're absolutely right though. Um be a good human <laughs> that would be a great start. Um and I I can almost think a lot of the inaction or the illusion of inaction it's it's pointing to it's not my problem or it is a bigger problem than than me or I'm being judged by this particular quota and not the value I can create long-term. I don't want to be in here creating all this change is going to cost me so much and having to explain yeah. to the board, why am I doing this? What are we doing? Because in 10 years time, the board's not going to be there.
1: So I don't quite know
0: how we are going to uh, get out of that. You,
1: you, you, you balanced it perfectly though, because people oscillate between not my problem and bigger problem than me. And And a lot of your writing really goes to the heart of not my problem. Because at the end of the day, as a human, yes, all of it is your problem. It affects you directly or indirectly, and it takes a degree of um, willful ignorance to not see that. But the thing that I I tried to tackle in the last couple of chapters of, of my book was a bigger problem than me. Because you're absolutely right. So much of the inaction for the bigger things hides behind, I care, I do believe it's my problem, but it's, it's bigger than me. And, and, and the, the point I'm trying to drive is, well, is it? Because if we are sitting in positions of influence and reach, if we have a series of decision makers in large organizations, regulators coming together to have these conversations as they are again and again in the industry, where is that learned helplessness coming from? who is above you who's empowered to make this decision and i genuinely believe that there is a world where there can be a dialogue with your board there can be a dialogue with your regulator and if you are the ceo of a big bank how is it bigger than you and maybe it needs more than one bank and you can create a consortium but i'm pretty sure there are not many problems that have a solution that requires a bank that are bigger than some of the decision makers who have learned that helplessness. And I think part of that is time horizons. If you're operating on a quarter by quarter review time horizon, then it's not that the problem is bigger than you, it's that the the window for return on whatever choices you make is too long for when you're going to be measured against. And that has been one of the biggest stumbling blocks of all the uh, digital work we've been doing over the last few years and the fact that we've we've focused on uh, things that were easier wins, that didn't go very deep in the infrastructure. I wrote this piece for our Finter Power 50 um, magazine a couple of years ago. I don't know if you remember it. I want my bling where I can see it. Because um, that's exactly what we did as an industry. We went for things that could show return in a shorter period of time. But we have started learning the hard way that certain things can't be done in a quarter. So, as we are training our boards and our decision-makers to move to a time horizon that is more aligned with the effort and the outcome, I think these um, the not my problem and bigger than me excuses will have to be parked. And it becomes a question of leadership, it it becomes a question of stomach. Do you have the stomach to do what is needed? Because at the end of the day, If you're the CEO of a globally systemic financial institution and you think that addressing how you provide access to financial instruments and how you monetize that access is a bigger problem than you. You're in the wrong job. You're the wrong guy for the job. Pack your socks and let a girl in. I can totally see you saying that on stage too
0: for some reason.
1: Before we let you go, yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to make sure you do a few of those this year. Um, and with the book in your hand, bankers like us, pack it I back. Need to get the book. Hold on. <laughs> so, where can we find bankers like us?
1: It's available on Amazon and the Routledge website directly from
0: the publishers. And please be sure when you do get a book, snap a picture of happy face and Santa Talita. So thank you so much, my friend, for joining us today. And best of luck, and I will see you in London. And for the rest of our audience, thank you for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.